0: if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 11 through 21, and we will finish 1 Timothy today. Um, And for those of you that are like, yes, awesome. For those of you that are like, man, yay. We're going to be in 2 Timothy next week, so uh, we're going to keep going. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we've learned a lot from this little book this little letter that, that Paul wrote to this young pastor, Timothy, who's pastoring the church at Ephesus. Uh, we've learned uh, about false teachers and what do we do with them in the church. We've learned about the qualifications of overseers and leaders. We've learned about the qualifications of deacons. We've learned about what Paul says about women in the church. We've learned um, uh, what we do with the gospel. <laughs> we take it and we run with it. To the lost, we have learned a tremendous amount about what we as believers who hold to Jesus and are part of the church, his people, um, we've learned what we do and how we function. And last week, we, Paul addresses uh, money uh, and says, hey, this is, this is the, the root of all kinds of evil. Um, it is, money itself is not evil, but it is the root of all kinds of evil. He addressed that. He's going to kind of touch on that again um, this morning. But for the most part, Paul's going to sum up everything that he's taught us. Everything that he's declared to Timothy, everything that he's declared to the church at Ephesus is going to really be summed up in verse 12. And he's going to say this, fight the good fight of the faith take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you were made. You made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He's going to kind of sum everything up in that. Fight this good fight of the faith, Timothy. Church, fight the good fight of the faith. And so he's going to say that um, to the church. And so and this morning I would like to start with I'm going to give you several quotes there's a, there's a book by an author named C.S. Lewis and if you don't know who C.S. Lewis is you may recognize that he wrote The Chronicles of Narnia if you were a kid ever heard that or or have heard of those books he's written a myriad of books um, but one of those books that he wrote was a book called The Screwtape Letters and The Screwtape Letters are a series of 31 letters Uh, written by Screwtape, who is a um, veteran, experienced, mature demon to his young protege named Wormwood. And all of these letters are are designed and geared towards showing Wormwood how to um, tempt and lead his human that he's been assigned to, to damnation. That's the whole premise of the book. And so um, you're gonna hear several quotes because of of, of the text today from this book, but we're gonna start this morning with this. C.S. Lewis says this. Now, mind you, it's screw tape writing to Wormwood. Demon to demon, this is how you should do things. The more often he feels without acting, the less he will be able ever to act. In the long run, the less he will be able to feel. Because, see, here's the whole aim this morning for our text. Is that fighting the good fight of the faith requires action. And so what Scrutate tells Wormwood about his human is he said, hey, if you can get him to feel things but not act on them, man, that's the best place you can ever have him. If he can feel things and go, oh, man, I'm bummed out about that but never do anything, he's won. The enemy has won, hasn't he? Right? And so, so for us fighting the good fight of the faith that, that Paul is writing to, Timothy here says, it requires action. It requires us to do some things. And so right out of the, the hat, Paul's gonna give us a bunch of action words. What are action words? They're what? Thank you, man. We got some English people here today. Good job, right? They're verbs, right? They're things we do. They're not things we just sit around and go, that's a good idea. They're things we actually do, right? So chapter six, starting in verse 11, he says this. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And we're gonna stop there. P- Paul is going to give these things and he's gonna say, hey, here's, some, here's, here's what you do. Here's the actions that you take as a believer because he says, but as for you, O oh, man of God. This, this word man here is um, it's the Greek word for human. So oh human of God. The one that says, if you were here this morning and you have had in your life a moment where you said, I'm gonna make Jesus the Lord of my life. He's gonna come in and he's gonna take over. And you claim to follow Christ. O oh, man of God, a woman of God, a child of God. If you claim Christ, this is how you should live your life, okay? Sums all of 1 Timothy up in these actions. The first thing is he's going to tell us is this. Flee these things. Flee these things. Well, what things is he talking about? He's referring back up to what he's said. He's like, hey, if, 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 if you're not holding to sound doctrine, if, if, if you're after all kinds of controversy, and you're divisive, and you're doing all things. flee these things. Everything of the world, flee these things. So the first action that we take is we flee them. We flee away from the things of the world and the things that Satan offers. We flee them, Well, what does it mean to flee? It means to walk away from, right? To go in the opposite direction of, but The problem is most of us see it and go, eh, it's not that big a deal. And when we say it's not that big a deal and we don't take an actual action to flee from it, what we end up doing inevitably is we slowly draw closer to it. And so Paul says to the believer, flee. Go away from the things of the world. Because listen to this. I want you to hear this. Satan aims, this this is what Satan aims to do, to defame God's glory, distort God's gospel, and destroy God's people. I'm gonna read it again for those of you that didn't hear it. Satan aims to defame God's glory, distort God's gospel, and destroy God's people. That's his aim, that's his goal. And if we don't flee from it, we're assisting him in it. He wants to wreck your marriages. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to abolish your purity, and attack your integrity, and at all costs, keep you from knowing the glory of God and spreading the gospel of God. That's his goal. And as long as you stay close to it and not flee it, He's winning. He's succeeding. So every moment of every day, we've got to declare with all that we are, I need the every hour to flee from the enemy. The first action is that we flee. And then he goes on, and if we're naturally fleeing from something, we're doing what? We're going towards something else, right? We're pursuing after something else. Look what he says. Pursue, and then he gives this list of things. So the first thing we do is we flee. The second thing we do is we pursue. We run after something. We run after Christ. Because here's the deal, believer. Your identity is found in him. Pursue after him. Your identity is not found in who you are as a dad. It's not found in who you are as a mom. It's not found in who you are as a teenager. It's not as a son or a daughter, as a wife or a husband, as a grandma or a grandpa. It's not even found in your sexuality. Your identity is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Your work doesn't define you. That's not your identity. If you are a believer in Christ, he is your identity. He is what defines you. And so Paul then says, here's how that works. You pursue one, righteousness. You pursue righteousness. What does it look like for me to live A life that is upright before the Lord. Not to please men, but before the Lord. What does it look like for me to live a righteous life? I'm upright before the Lord and that I am daily taking action to be with him and to pursue after him and then to take what I've read and what he's taught me and then put it into action in my life and go, today I'm going to work on this. I'm really bad at this right now, but to and and, I, and he's going to get there. But I'm going to work on this today, and I'm going to pursue righteousness. He then goes on. He says this: pursue godliness, godliness, um, and this refers back to the what we talked about last week: is godliness with contentment. It's being satisfied and content in my identity being found in Jesus. And not what the world says. That I'm going to be satisfied in him. That's what godliness looks like. Is that I'm going to pursue after him and I'm going to be satisfied in him. The the enemy knows us well, doesn't he? We had this talk this week, um, Briggs and I did. He's been playing some games and he's a World War II history buff. Like, he loves history and so we've been playing some World War II games on on the tablet and um and and right the app developers know how we're wired don't they like playing a game and an ad pops up for another game and we need that game so then we play that game and then an ad pops up for another game you see like right that's how it happens it's exactly how the enemy knows us right right The enemy knows us and puts things in front of us that says, hey, if you just have this, everything's gonna be okay. Everything's gonna be great. If you have this much money in the bank account, it's gonna be okay. If you just had this car, it's gonna be okay. You're you're gonna be happy. If you have this house, it's, it's gonna be okay. You're gonna be happy and you're gonna be content. And none of that offers satisfaction and contentment because all that drives you to is to want more. But Jesus satisfies always. When we pursue after him and we pursue after Godliness and go, man, I I want to be satisfied in Christ. This always wins. This always satisfies you. He says, pursue after godliness. And then he goes on he says this. He says, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Look, faith is, is, is what one defines our relationship with the Lord. Paul says, hey, pursue after that. Pursue after the faith that, 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 that you once confessed that he was Lord. Pursue after that. My fear for so many people in church is that you may have had an experience with the Lord and that's as far as you ever took your relationship. And you're said, I'm good. And you have yet to pursue the faith that once you proclaimed. And you come in here every single week and you sit in these chairs and you go, I, I checked it off, I was at church on Sunday, but you have not opened your Bible, you haven't turned on a worship song, you haven't done anything the rest of the week. That's not pursuing your faith. You made a decision because you didn't want to go to hell. You didn't make a decision to say, I'm surrendering it all. And yeah, I'm being a little harsh this morning, but that's the reality. We pursue after him because what he has done for us. Paul says, pursue faith. He also says pursue love. First, it's a it's a love towards the Father. The more I pursue the love of the Father and I understand and begin to to comprehend who he is, I, I then comprehend who I am. And when I do so, then I begin to treat others differently because I know the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the gentleness he has shown me. He says pursue that kind of love. And then he says pursue steadfastness that we hold strong, that we hold in place. When circumstances are tough, when life is hard, when faith is hard, we stand firm. And we say, I'm going to hold fast to my faith. Even if it's all I have, I'm gonna hold fast to it. And some of you, you've been there in your life. And some of you, you will be there in your life. And some of you are there right now that all you have left to hold on to is your faith. Paul says, pursue that. Pursue that. Be steadfast. And then he says this, is that in all of this, we pursue gentleness. That we pursue gentleness. It's that we're gracious and kind in all of it. We pursue gentleness. That people don't approach us and are worried that we're going to judge them or they're worried that we're going to somehow get all over them and we're going to eat their lunch because they haven't lived their life perfectly. But it is living and pursuing gentleness so that people can approach you and say, Hey, I'm I'm struggling. Like, hey, it's okay, me too. Let's walk together. We're going to pursue that kind of gentleness. So, so our first action is that we flee, but our second action that Paul says is that we pursue and then the third thing is, he says this, is that we are to fight the good fight of the faith. We're to fight. Like, okay, we're, we're to flee, but we're to fight? <laughs> what Paul's getting here is he's, he's using an athletic term. He's not, he's not saying like, let's, let's duke it out, right? Like, come on, Clint, let's go, me and you. Your arms are longer, but I'm pretty sure I got you by like 90 pounds. So we're going to do this, right? It's not what he's talking about, right? What he's talking about a- instead is it's an athletic term of, hey, we're, we're going to train ourselves. We are going to, to make ourselves ready. We're going to fight the good fight of faith. We're going to fight... Um, all the temptation that comes our way by fleeing and pursuing. Now we're going to train and we're going to make ourselves ready for the day that's coming where we get to proclaim Jesus to anybody and everybody. So he says, it's an athletic term here. He says, hey, fight the good fight of faith. And one of the things I want to mention here is that so many times I think we, when we talk about fighting for the the good fight of faith is, is we want to say that we're fighting for victory. We gotta win. Wrong. He, he won the victory on the cross. So guess what that means for you, believer? You fight from victory. It's already won. The war has won, been won. Victory is declared. So you get to fight from that place. So when the enemy tempts you, you say, hey, guess what, I'm a child of God and he wins. Any of your kids are ever like to their siblings, like "I win," right? That's the reality for Satan. He can come at us, and we say, "Ha ha, sucker! We win." We fight from that place of victory, and we train ourselves so that we can declare Jesus to the world. Then our fourth action is this. Like, Brady, come on, man, you gotta get this going. We're only on, like, verse 12, right? Hang on. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says, hey, take hold. Take hold of your faith. What does it mean for us to take hold? It means for us to own it and make it our own teenagers, it's no longer your parents' faith. When you come to know Christ, it is yours. Kids, whenever you come to know Christ, it is your faith, not your parents' faith. Adults, it's not your parents' faith. It's your faith. It's not your parents' tradition. It's your faith. We take hold of it and we make it our own and we say, God, what do you want to do with me. As I pers- as I flee and as I pursue and as I fight, God, what do you want to do with me? How do you want to use me? So we take hold of our faith and then and then Paul kind of takes a turn here and he's going to declare things before he gives us the fifth and final action, but listen to what he says, verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion, amen. And amen, church. Paul stops for a moment, and in the middle of this gives this doxology, and and, and really answers the question of why do we flee? Why do we pursue? Why do we fight? Why do we take hold of? Because this is who Jesus is. He's worth every moment. He's worth every fight, he's worth every struggle because this is who he is, church. He who is the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. That's our Savior. That's our King. That's our Creator. And He is worthy of it all. So why do we flee? And why do we pursue? And why do we fight? And why do we take hold of? Because this is who Jesus is. And He's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. then he comes back to those that are rich. Verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty in order to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And so the question is, in the middle of this, in the middle of the, the, the Paul saying, hey, here's some actions, here's what you do as a believer, does he just kind of chime in and say, oh yeah, by the way, to the rich, here's how they're supposed to act. Well, it seems abrupt and it seems kind of weird in the text, but it's really not because Paul has addressed this in the first part of chapter six. And and now he says, hey, believer, this is how you are to live your life. And and, and by the way, those that are rich, they're to live their life in the same manner. There's no distinction, right? But I think it's a warning as well. In the Screwtape letters, um, Screwtape says to one this, prosperity knits a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place in it while really... It is finding its place in him. It's a hard, stern warning in the middle of all of this. As we pursue and as we, as, we, um, as we flee and pursue and fight and take hold of our faith, in the middle of all of this, if God has blessed you, keep in mind, Christ is center. Not the things of this world. And then Paul's going to end this with the, the final thing in verse 20. O Timothy, the final action, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. He says, guard that which has been entrusted to you. When we... Hear the gospel for the first time. When we hear that that Jesus came to this earth and lived a perfect life and that he was taken and he was beaten and he was put on a cross and he suffered and he died on that cross for the sin that you commit and the sin that I commit and he was taken off of that cross after he had died and he was put in a tomb And three days later, he rolled away the stone and walked out of that tomb. When we hear the gospel for the first time and we realize in our heart of hearts that we are a sinner in need of that Savior, and we come into relationship with him by simply saying, God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I confess him as the Lord of my life. When we do that and we have that moment with Him, it's that moment that we come a new creation. And Paul tells Timothy, "Guard that deposit that's been given to you. Guard what you have been given. And the way we guard something is we protect it and we grow it, don't we? We take it and and, and we." and we may help it flourish and we protect it and we make sure that it grows. That's what we do with our kids, isn't it? They've been entrusted to us and we guard them. We protect them. We help them flourish and we help them grow. Guard the deposit that's been given to you. And what, a, what an honor it was a, a couple of weeks ago to be in Canada and just be around Bo. I got to love Bo Neal. Like we, I just, he and I just are like, we just, we get each other for like, you know, you just meet those people and you're like, we're just, we just get each other. We laugh the same things, like we just, you know. But I couldn't help but think of, of Oak Grove and the deposit that you, the deposit that you made in that young man's life. And he took that deposit and he guarded it and he grew it and it flourished. And now thousands of miles away, people's eternities are being changed in Calgary because of the deposit that Oak Grove made in a young man's life. You can clap, it's okay, come on. But I say that because there's been a deposit put in you if you were a believer? Are you guarding it? Are you helping it grow and flourish? And so my question for you is this, is what what this week have you done to flee and to pursue and to fight and to take hold of throw them they're going to roll them up there but but what have you done this week to do these things what have you actively done to flee the enemy what have you actively done to pursue after jesus what have you actively done to fight the good fight of faith and train yourself what have you actively done to take hold of your faith what have you actively done to to guard the deposit that's been entrusted to you What have you done? And and, and the answer is, buddy, I have no idea if I've done any of those things. Okay, then what will you actively do this week? Because sitting and doing nothing is not an option as a believer. Because fighting the good fight of faith requires action. So what will you actively do this week to pursue after him I'll close with this last quote from C.S. Lewis as Screwtape writes to Wormwood. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's will looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him, meaning God, seems to have vanished and ask why he has been forsaken and still obeys. Church, let's fight the enemy with all that we are in obedience to the Father. Let's pray. God, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for the book of First Timothy, Father, for all that it teaches us and all that it has done to shape us as, as individual believers, but, Father, as a church. Father, this morning for, for those that are in this room that have never stepped foot into faith with you, Father, I pray that in these moments, even when they're nervous and they they're, they're, don't understand everything, Father, you would give them courage. And if that's you this morning, I'm gonna simply just show you and share with you how you do that. You simply pray to the Father, God, I admit that I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And I confess him as the Lord of my life. Father, for those here this morning that just say, hey, I'm I'm struggling to do any of these things. I feel like I'm just kind of complacent and, and not moving forward. Father, I pray this morning that this would be the fire. That we would no longer just sit still, but Father, we would actively run with all that we are after you. Father, this is your time. God, would we respond to you and your word? God, we love you. It is your name we pray. Amen and amen.